I want to speak and share with you this morning something that I'm simply entitling Handling Temptation. Handling Temptation. Um, because we live in a very hedonistic society, temptation comes to us from all manner of directions. From the temptation to lay in bed in the morning a little bit longer than you should do, right through to wrong sexual indulgence, there are a multitude of temptations that we face on a daily basis. Uh, I read a story about uh, a Belgium 14th century Duke by the name of Renaud. And uh, he was grossly overweight and was called Crassus which in the Latin literally means fat. And uh, one day in battle, his younger brother captured him and put him in Newkirk Castle. But he wasn't put in a cell or a dungeon or anything like that. He was put in a normal room that had doors and windows. But none of these doors or windows were locked because Reynold was too fat to get through the door. I don't know how they got him through in the first place, but anyway. And his brother, knowing his weakness, would Edward would send him delicious fattening foods every single day, causing his brother to get fatter and fatter. And as a result, his obesity made him a prisoner to his own appetite. Uh, quite a funny, amusing and amazing story, but he was a man whose temptation was all around the whole area of food. Now, when it comes to temptation, the New Testament has ever such a lot to say about it. First of all, we note that the devil is called the tempter. This is one of his many names that reveals an aspect of his nature. When Jesus was fasting for 40 days at the beginning of his earthly ministry, we are told that the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, he said to them, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. 1 Timothy 3, 5. Satan's mission as the tempter is to bring us to a point where we fail or fall short of God's standards and thereby enter into sin. However, we do need to remember that temptation in itself is not a sin, but it is always a test. Sin comes when we give in or yield to temptation and allow it to play out its inducements by our actions. So James tells us in his book in the New Testament, James 1 verse 13 and 14, this is the passion when you are tempted, don't ever say God is tempted me. For God is incapable of being tempted by evil, 
and he is never the source <coughs> of temptation. Instead, it is each person's own desires and thoughts that drag them into evil and lure them away into darkness. You see, the difference between God and Satan when it comes to temptation is that God will test us to strengthen our faith. Satan will tempt us so that we fall into <coughs> sin. God will never tempt us to sin, but he will test us so that our faith becomes stronger, whereas the devil's agenda always is to tempt us so that we end up committing sin. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word for tempt is perezo, which literally means to test, to trap, to examine, and to try. And according to Dr. Michael Youssef, if you ever listen to Premier Christian Radio, he's a popular speaker on there. According to Dr. Michael Youssef, he says that temptation comes in three areas. Pleasure, popularity, and power. You will find that all temptation falls into one of these three areas. And Jesus taught us in his prayer, didn't he? He said, do not let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And Jesus also said when his disciples joined him in Gethsemane prior to the time when he went to the cross and Jesus is praying his heart out and praying those words, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, it's not my will, but yours be done. Jesus then also said to his disciples at that time, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, we haven't had anybody reading any passages of scripture this morning because I'm going to get a number of you to read for us um, during my talk this morning. And I wonder if I can just ask Gemma if you could turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, and read to us the first 11 verses. You can all find it in your Bible if you like, but it's Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. I want to use this experience of Jesus to learn some important principles as to how we should go about handling temptation that we all will face on a daily basis. So let's listen to Matthew 4 and the first 11 verses. Thank you, Gemma. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Thank you, Gemma. Um, 
So we're going to look at this passage. It's probably very familiar to us, but I just saw some key principles that can help us when it comes to temptation. In Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Jesus, it says this, For Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He has already been tested in every way that we are tested, but he emerged victorious without failing God. So we learn from that that Jesus faced all the kinds of temptations that you and I faced, but he knew how to handle it, and we can learn from his example. So how did Jesus handle temptation? From the passage we just had read to us, the first principle that we learn is by the word of God. In verse 4, Jesus says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your word and my word against Satan will have zero impact. Take note of that. Satan will readily laugh at us. He will readily mock our words and our thoughts. But the word of God will always make the devil back off. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and he is now humanly desperate for food. He is at the weakest point and therefore lacking any strength to resist temptation uh, to perform a miracle to create food because that's what Satan was saying. You've got the power to create a miracle. You have got the ability to turn these stones into bread. You desperately need bread. You are so hungry after 40 days. Jesus came to, Satan came to Jesus at his weakest moment and tempted him to satisfy his human need. But notice Jesus used the word of God to come against the temptation of Satan. Many, many years ago, I can remember a time uh, where Janice and I were involved in dealing with someone who was troubled by demonic powers and forces. Sometimes it's called demon possession or demonization. And I can remember ministering to this person. And every time I quoted the scriptures, the demonic manifestation would become subdued and eventually we were able to see this person delivered. Whenever I spoke my words, it made no difference whatsoever. But whenever I quoted the scripture, the demonic manifestations were overcome and were banished in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, the word of God is incredibly powerful. <coughs> Paul reminds us in Ephesians about wearing the whole armor of God. And he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus knew the power of God's word was the key weapon to use against Satan. Rick Warren says this, that every time you defeat a temptation, you are becoming more like Jesus. Jesus defeated the tempter again and again and again and again, and he did it through the power of God's word. Psalm 119 has some interesting things about the word of God. You'll know verse 105, your word is a lamp to my, to my feet and a, a light to my path. Also in uh, verse 130 of Psalm 119, it says the teaching of your word gives light so even the simple can understand. 
And then in verse 132 of Psalm 119, it says, guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. And then again in Proverbs 30, verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. You see, as we apply God's word to our daily lives, it will guide us, it will protect us, it will save us, and it will keep us in times of temptation. That's why it was fantastic earlier this morning, all those different scriptures that you were sharing that have been relevant to you during the week, that had spoken something to you. That is the strength and the power that we draw from the word of God that then sustains us and gives us the ability to deal with those times of temptation. Jesus is our example. And by knowing and using the word of God, we will be able to outsmart the devil again and again and again. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, we've got a promise. This is God's promise. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through. God's word is true. God's word is powerful. God will manifest himself through his word as we use it in times of temptation. But then the second principle that we learned from the experience of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 4 is he used the wisdom of God. By the wisdom of God, he came against temptation. Because in verse 7, it says, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now, Satan had suggested to Jesus, maybe for the fun of it, that he should jump off a high point in the temple. This was a test of the word of God to see if it was really true. Now, remember that Satan knows the Bible better than you do or I do. He knows it back to front, inside out. He is thoroughly familiar with the word of God. But he will always twist the word of God, just like he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time. He twisted what God had said when he tempted Eve with the fruit in the garden. So we need the wisdom of God to outsmart Satan. And Satan was trying to trick Jesus here by taking scripture out of context. So Satan quotes Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. He says this, for he will give his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So he says to Jesus, you jump off this high point of the temple. You won't have a bungee cord or anything like that, but just jump off because the scripture says he will protect you and the angels will dive down and swoop underneath and catch you before you smash into a rock or a stone when you hit the ground. But the devil takes the scripture out of context. 
Because when you look at Psalm 91, the preceding two verses, 9 and 10, say this. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, no plague will come near your home, for he will give his angels charge over you wherever you go, they will protect you, they will hold you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. It makes a massive difference when you read it in context. Satan will always quote the word of God out of context. He will always twist the scriptures to confuse us and to tempt us to sin. Jesus comes back to the devil, quoting the Torah, Deuteronomy 6, 16, and he says, you must not test the Lord your God. I remember hearing a story many, many years ago out in South Korea. There were some young, overzealous Christians, and they'd been reading about how Moses parted the Red Sea. And they went to this big river that was swollen. And they thought, if we walk into it, the water will part in the name of Jesus and everything will be fine. The sad thing was they were all drowned because they were not directed by God to do such a thing. Satan will tempt us to do foolish things, to apply the word of God in the wrong context and to twist it and take it out of context. This is why we need the wisdom of God to outsmart the devil. We all know that it is utter foolishness to jump off a cliff, which is exactly what Satan wanted Jesus to do. That's why Paul tells us in wearing the whole armor of God to put on the armor of God so that you can defend yourself against the devil's tricks. Satan is always out to trick us. He's always out to trip us up. <clears throat> and he will do it by manipulating scripture. Therefore, we need the wisdom of God to come against the schemes that he brings. Proverbs 14 verse 16 says, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Psalm 119 again, verse 59 says, when I realize that I'm going astray, I turn and obey your instructions. Wise people live according to the word of God. But we have to get wisdom. There was a group of uh, people visiting uh, an historic site on one occasion and, and the tour guide said to one of the local residents, was anybody famous born here? And the local resident simply turned and said, no, only babies were born here. You see, we are not born famous. We are not born wise. And that's why the book of Proverbs says, get wisdom. And you have to seek out wisdom. The Bible says of Jesus in Luke 2, 52, when he was a boy, that he grew in wisdom and stature. Of course, you expect him to grow in stature. All our children grow in stature, but we don't all grow in wisdom. The only way you grow in wisdom is by getting wisdom, is spending time assimilating the wisdom of the word of God, but also spending time by being with wiser and older people and learning from them, being mentored 
by those who are older and wiser and have gone through life and have experience to share and wisdom that they have gained through their experiences. The Bible teaches us we have to get wisdom. And people who make bad choices in life often lack wisdom. In Proverbs 2 verse 6 it says the Lord grants wisdom. In, in, in Proverbs 16 verse 16 it says it's better to get wisdom than gold. James tells us if you lack wisdom ask God for it. And so we need to remember that the Bible is full of wisdom to live by, especially the book of Proverbs. And we need to feed ourselves on the word of God so that we become wise and know how to handle what the Bible says, the wiles or the tricks of the devil, so that we can outsmart him when he comes to subtly tempt us. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the Message Bible puts it like this. There is nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped for the tasks that God has for us. So Jesus overcame temptation by the word of God, but also by applying the wisdom of God. But then one third and final thing that we find out of this experience of Jesus is that he overcame Satan by only worshipping God. Because in verse 10, he says to Satan, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Satan took Jesus to a very high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, Jesus, if you will bow down before me and worship me, all of this is yours. Jesus comes back and he simply says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You see, Satan's tempting of Jesus was ultimately about worship. And before creation, Satan tried to usurp God's authority and was therefore kicked out of heaven. He knew, Satan knew why Jesus had come to the earth. He knew that Jesus had come to the earth to conquer the devil and all the wickedness that he has brought into God's creation. However, the devil is still intent on thwarting God's plan of redemption that was provided through Jesus, and he would do this by deception. Every time we give in to temptation, it ultimately results in the worship of self. Think about that. Every time we give in to temptation, it ultimately results in the worship of self, because it's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what brings me pleasure. It's about what promotes me. It's about what will give me power. It's about me. This is what Satan wants to lure us into, is the worship of self rather than the worship of God. And whether it's a temptation towards pleasure, popularity, or power, it ultimately ends up in the glorification and the gratification of self whenever I give in 
to temptation. Now, the church, and I call that the church worldwide, the church has redefined worship. We often think immediately when we talk about worship of corporately singing songs together in a building we call church, particularly on a Sunday morning. Accompanied by guitars, sometimes loud music, colored lights, and mainly performed by people who are under 30 years of age. <laughs> That's what we have redefined as worship. But true worship is about lifestyle. It's about how we live. It's how we interact with others, with others how I behave how I use my life, my time, my talents, my treasures, everything that is me, it's how I conduct my life which defines worship. It's about living my life for the glory of God. That's what true worship is all about. You see, Jesus did everything to please his father. He says, I only do what my father tells me to do. When Jesus walked this earth, everything he did, everything he said was an act of worship 24-7, 365 days a year because he lived for the glory of God. That's what true worship is. It is not singing a few lovely songs in church on a Sunday. As good and as important as that is, my worship is the way I live my whole life. And if I live it for the glory of God, that is an act of worship. Paul describes that in Romans 12 verses one and two. When we make Jesus the center of our lives, and when everything we say and do is influenced by what Jesus would do, then our lives will be lived for the glory of God and Satan will have a very hard job when it comes to temptation. I want us just to finally turn up a few verses of scripture. I'll call them out and different ones of you can read. We're just going to look at some words that Paul brings in the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 verse 16. Somebody could find that. And then somebody find 2 Timothy 2 verses 20 to 22 and then somebody else 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through to 5. This is advice that Paul gives to Timothy so that he will not give in to temptation but that he will live his life for the glory of God and that everything about his life will be an act of worship to God. So 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, if someone could read that, please. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right, and God will save you and those who hear you. Or some of those, they might like the uh, New King James Version, take heed to or thyself and thy doctrine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Such great advice. To live your life as an act of worship to God 24-7, those are tremendous words of, of wisdom and advice that Paul gives to Timothy. Then if we go into 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 22. 
Nanny, you're on mute, I think. Thank you, and sorry. Second Timothy 2, verse 20 to 22. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Great. So Paul uses the analogy there of, of vessels that you have in a home. I'm sure we all have our best China and our everyday China. And he's literally saying, you want to be like best China. So live pure and godly lives. You will then be the best you can for God. And then he gives this other warning to run from youthful lust or sexual temptation. We cannot handle sexual temptation. The Bible says you have to run from it because it's like putting fire into your lap. Nobody would ever put fire into their lap. And that's what sexual temptation is all about. And we live in an age where there is massive sexual temptation through the TV, through the internet, through all manner of sources. It is thrown at us all the time. And Paul says to Timothy, you run from that stuff. You don't try and handle it. You don't try and resist it. You run as far away as you can. That is wisdom to turn your back on those things so that you will continue to be a pure vessel that is used for the honor and glory of Jesus' name. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 3, the first five verses, he's talking there about the kind of world in which we live. It was what Timothy was facing, but much of it is what we face today. Listen to these verses, please. Somebody got it? 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 5. Vic, thank you. Yes. I'm reading from the Passion. It says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture and society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They'll ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. That's the first two verses. How many? One to five. five. They will become addicts to hateful and malicious slander, slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, what's that? Be, be, belligerent haters of what is good and right with brutal treacherousy. They will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their own conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world, world more than the pleasures of a loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. Okay, that last line is wisdom. Stay away. Yes. 
And what a comment, you know, that was written 2000 years ago, but how relevant it is to us today. Yes. To stay away from those who could wrongly influence us and give the devil an opportunity to bring temptation our way. Rick Warren has said this, and I just bring it as a final word that uh, we all struggle with areas of temptation. And he says this, if you are losing the battle against a persistent bad habit, an addiction or a temptation, and you're stuck in a repeating cycle of good intention, failure and guilt, you will not get better on your own. Now, that's wise, because often we think, oh, I can handle this. I can manage this. But how often the proverb is true, a problem shared is a problem halved. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. We need to be there for one another. And when you go through a struggle, when you go through an issue that is tempting and is becoming a besetting sin, the best thing is to share it with someone you can trust and to say, will you pray with me? Will you stand with me so I can conquer this? in and through the power of the name of Jesus.